0: Um, I was uh, down the other side of the uh, coppicing area um, and John, a chap who worked for us, one of our cutters, called my husband Wesley over. Um, we were just thrown in the fires. We just got there, you know, in the morning trying to get the fires restarted and uh, I went over there to see what was going on because they just seemed to be standing about. And they, Wes had a bone in his hand. He said, oh, look, you know, it's either a dog bone or a sheep bone. I was like, no, it's definitely too big for that you know it's it's not we carried on looking around we found other bones um, the pelvis um, hip bones leg bone another part of the leg bone the shin bone Um, so we carried on looking around and we saw these black boots and i could clearly see the socks were still in the boots and it had a, a bone sticking out
1: They were clearing out the forest land, making way for development. They came across an old set of bones, the place was dark and overgrown, where he had died.
0: I automatically, you know, said, look, I'm phoning the police. Um, I got on my mobile and dialed 999. Uh, phoned the police up and, you know, said to them, look, you know, I found human remains. Um, the police were up here, you know, two car units were up here basically within 20 minutes. I think they had a bit of trouble finding it because it's so, you know, isolated in the area that we are in. Um, they came up here, you know, they had uh, the pulsar unit come up, all the forensic people in the white suits and paper shoes and everything, it was it was really muddy up here at the time. It's off the main path, that's why I automatically thought, you know, it was someone had bumped someone off and thrown them in the woods because it would have been an easy access. Um, and that's what my thir- my first, you know, assumption was, that someone had been murdered up here.
1: Where did you come from? You here? What brought you brought you
2: I'm Martin Harris, uh, Detective Chief Inspector with the Kent Police Major Crime Department, and I was the Senior Investigating Officer for the investigation. What we found was uh, the skeletal remains of, of a person um, distributed over an area of about 50 metres. And uh, we were able to call various experts to the scene, um, botanists, forensic anthropologists. Uh, Later on, we were able to get the uh, the post-mortem conducted. And we were able to tell that we had um, uh, a man in his late 70s. Um, Some of the uh, the bones were um, chewed by animals, Um, which, again, it's important to look at each of these particular... Um, injuries to the skeleton and interpret them and make sure that, that it wasn't some other cause. What we do, we, we hypothesise, and then what we do is we test it in the same way as uh, a scientist would. So we come up with a hypothesis that, for instance, the, the one that we've we've actually ended up with is the, the, the likelihood that um, he was in the stages of hypothermia when he stripped off his clothing voluntarily, and that's why we found the clothing removed from the skeleton When people, uh, old people um, get to a a stage where they are very cold, um, then the the last stages before they die, very often they strip off because their body is completely confused and they don't know if they're very hot or they're very cold. And so what happens is they strip their clothing off and it's it's quite common to go into an old person's house where they'll be naked, uh, dead on the floor, and it's because of this hypothermia. And the other thing is, it really struck me that this skeleton belonged where it had been found. Because when we looked at the, the type of footwear, when we, uh, which was um, heavy boots, when we looked at the clothing, it was of somebody who was dressed to go out in those kind of woods with the heavy mud, uh, with the kind of inclement weather, etc. So it, it, it told me straight away that this was unlikely to be a person who was, for instance, murdered in the town and then deposited in the woods. Straight away, I was thinking that this person really belongs where they've been found.
3: Right, my name's uh, Gavin Mosley. I'm a detective with the Kent Police Major Crime Department. Well, this... Uh, uh uh, was a result of a phone call from a local resident. And if you remember, I'd said uh, that uh, a media appeal had been put out. Uh, that was over uh, uh, a number of days. Uh, we looked at local radio uh, and we put out um, bulletins in uh, various local newspapers. As a result of that, one of the residents of West Kingsdown, Mr Pearson, phoned into the investigation to talk about a person called Old Paddy. So I went and spoke to Mr Pearson and it was uh, very clear... Uh, ...that uh, around ten years prior to the discovery of these remains... uh, ...there was a gentleman called Old Paddy... ...who had gone missing from the West Kingsdown area. Now, uh, the thing about uh, Mr Pearson's information... ...was he gave very uh, uh, absolutely vital information to us... ...about uh, uh, the description of Old Paddy... uh, ...but he also gave me vital information... ...about other people who knew this person in the West Kingsdown area... ...and uh, that led me on to speak to a number of other residents... But you had this name which was old Paddy uh, and that had to uh, be sort of looked at a lot further because what you didn't have was another name, i.e. the surname of the individual concerned. Uh, so the, my initial focus of that, of that side of the investigation was who was Paddy.
4: True to your investigations and from talking to people, you, the police in Kent came to the conclusion that it was Patrick Folan, yes. and they convinced the coroner I've liked so. Could you just take me point by point through the reasoning why you came to the conclusion that
3: it was definitely Patrick? Right. Uh, a number of reasons, really, because you can look at uh, the forensic side, and the forensic side uh, gives you clear indications that you are dealing with a person who is a specific age and a specific height. Uh, Patrick Foden fitted that criteria. Uh, secondly, you'd start looking at the possessions that were found. Uh, there was a pipe. There was a tobacco. There were coats, uh, and there were boots. The pipe, I think, is a very significant feature because everybody I spoke to who who remembered old Paddy remembered that he always had a pipe in his mouth. And he, whether or not he was smoking it, is was, was another matter, because occasionally he didn't have tobacco. But uh, the pipe was described, and uh, and this pipe that we found uh, was similar in de- uh, as in description in very many ways as the pipe that had been found, and. In addition to that, the location, this was a man who walked through the woods regularly, who slept in the woods regularly, who used Horton Woods regularly as a a route to and from uh, West Kingsdown to uh, the pub at Horton Kirby. Uh, It does lead you to believe that that was Patrick Folan in the woods.
4: So what are you at there? Um, I am, just after putting the finishing touches, to 350 letters which I'm sending out. Um, the letters are all going to the one family, the Follen family, all trying to find and see if there was a family... Dear Sir or Madam, who we are hoping you might be able to help us with providing information for a programme we are making on Patrick Follen an Irishman who emigrated to London at some stage between the 1920s and the 1950s. We believe Patrick's surname was Folan. Any information you may have no matter how insignificant, would be gratefully received? Is there anyone in your surrounding family whose circumstances match those of Patrick's? Did anyone in your family emigrate never to be heard of again? If there is anything that springs to mind, we would be very grateful to hear from you. We can be contacted on the numbers or addresses listed above.
1: Making way for development I came across old Paddy's bones The place was dark and overgrown Where he had died 11 years before
5: We're gathered here today to remember Patrick Foden known as Paddy to all his friends. Sadly, on Wednesday the 19th of October, 2005, the skeletal remains of the person we now know to be Patrick Foam were found in Horton Woods off Three Gates Road, Falkham Kent. In death, he is having a minimalistic funeral. To some, a pauper's funeral. But we can't help believe that this is exactly what Paddy would have wanted. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen. Just bear with me. So, I mean, the final sighting that we've got of uh, Patrick was actually on Saturday the 17th of November in 1995, so that's 11 years ago almost. Um, And the landlord of the Bull public house at um, Horton Kirby, a guy called uh, Alan Baker, he is the last person who saw Patrick alive, and he saw him walking off in the direction of the woods. Um, And we're we're fairly confident that that is the last sighting of Patrick by anyone.
3: He was a person who didn't uh, beg... He was a person who wasn't uh, a weight on society. He was a person who wasn't actually in the social systems in relation to uh, benefits or any of those things. Uh, He earned money by uh, digging for the local... Uh, population, the local people in West King, Kingstown, he earned money by doing odd jobs, uh, looking after gardens, um, doing uh, trench work, uh, that type of stuff. And he also uh, uh, was very well thought of in that respect, in that uh, he did a very good uh, day's work for the money that he earned.
2: Patrick Folan um, was a person who uh, was much loved within the community. He was a fairly nomadic type person who had a long history of sleeping in those woods and uh I, I think Patrick would have uh would have wanted probably to die in those woods. Uh he loved the area, he'd been there for many years, and I think as far as he was concerned, it was probably the ultimate way to go. Um the actual detail of of, of his final moments uh, is never going to be pleasant for anyone. But um, I think for him to end up under the stars, probably naked, um, I, I think, uh, in a way, that's exactly the the thing he would have wanted.
3: I know absolutely nothing about his previous life. Uh, again, the only um, information that I know about is uh, uh, from his days in the West Kingsdown area in Kent. Um, there were a number of stories that uh, that he has, had told residents about his background. Um, there was one story which said that uh, he came to England with his family because of an outbreak of flu. Um, there was another story which uh, t- talked about coming over, possibly uh, working in the car, tra- his family working in the car trade to get work in the UK. Uh, another one talked about uh, coming over and in, an incident where a house was bombed and uh, then there was uh, a further Um, stories about uh, relatives, a number of brothers, one brother in particular who um, uh, had um, got drunk, fallen into a river and drowned and there was another story about him living with an older brother and an argument over uh, something with his brother's wife and him leaving.
2: Uh, Other stories of him having had a a wife and at least one child uh, to having roots uh, in certain parts of Ireland Uh, So the truth is, we don't know. Really, that is still a mystery to us, and it would appear that uh, several people got different stories from Patrick about exactly what his, his true roots were.
1: Where did you come from?
5: our brother Patrick Ferdinand to God's mercy and now we commit his body to be cremated earth to earth ashes to ashes dust to dust ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our frail bodies that they may be conformed to his glorious body who died, was buried and rose again for us to him be glory forever and ever
6: I thought he had children, and that he was bombed, and that's why he never ever wanted to live in a house ever again. Oh, well, I don't know the, where I got that Well, from. this is the
7: story that I house That you saying. got. Yes. Got, yeah.
4: Yes. You were told by Paddy that his parents had abandoned him when he was 16 after getting jobs. Yeah, they came over
7: to the Ford Motor
8: Works yeah. and they didn't like it and went back and left him here and left him without his shoes. Oh my Took goodness. his shoes off his feet.
2: Oh, yeah.
8: We'll never know the, the, the truth, will we? we might the whole the truth. The whole <laughs> we might find out. Do you think so?
7: Before the storms, these were this was a beech forest, and the storms tore the beech trees out of the ground. But in the evenings, you'd lie under the beech trees and look up through the branches. And I can imagine him doing that. You'd see the stars and the sky and the lights changing and the clouds, and, and you'd be aware of your own smallness. Perhaps he was too. But I'll bet he did, I'll bet he lay and, and, and just looked. Took it all in. It is beautiful, isn't it? The police came here to, to ask when we'd last seen him or all, the, all those sort of questions. And that this this skeleton had been found, um, and they were trying to identify him and and I said to them if you if you find a pipe with him, you will know that it was Paddy because he always smoked a pipe, and not many men do, not many people, and they knew it, it was a man and And I thought an awful lot about how it had been for him to die, and my real hope was that he'd had a huge heart attack, and just suddenly bang." There he was in the woods where he he always had been and and knew so well. He talked about the war, talked quite a lot about the war, and about a bombing and having, as far as I could understand, I thought he said that he had a wife and children and that he had come from wherever he had been and that the, the house had gone and so had they. There was a, a really unexpected, because he was a big, rough character. Um, I remember one day he, he'd, he'd been up in the woods and he came down for a shovel and he, he took the shovel off into the woods and I thought, well, where's he off to? And when he came back, he dug up a huge clump of, of um, snowdrops that he'd found growing wild in the woods and said that he'd brought them to put in on the edge of our woods, in the garden where we could enjoy them, and he put them in there, and he brought primroses in the same way. He would dig up a big clump of primroses and bring it down. And it just seemed so... I sort of thought of him as an onion-and-potato man, and he wasn't. He was also a, a man who held flowers dearly as well. He, he held his life very close to himself, he, he didn't seem to be lonely. It had to do with the feeling that I had about him being a proud man who who felt it was his, his life and his business and that he would share what he chose to share. Um, he didn't talk about his early life in Ireland. He just... I think he was very proud of being Irish, but he didn't talk about his roots or family or even places
1: the sea to- Send back what I can God knows there's nothing here for me In dear old Adeline.
7: No new messages. You have one old voice message. To go directly
9: to the main menu, press star. This message was left today at sixteen twelve. Hi, Kieran. Uh, my name is Mary Follen and I did have a letter from you back in September at my house in Carna. And I only got a letter yesterday. It's about, I think, obviously, about my uncle. So if you could, I don't know, I'll try you tomorrow, probably. I'm just getting, I'm sorry it's taking me so long, but I I only found out the letter was there last week. OK, Kieran, thanks. Goodbye okay, now. Well, he didn't disappear, essentially. He went to America around 1935 or before that and he was back once from America and that was it like but no but he had sisters over there
10: and uh, but he never came back after like so yeah no pattern three there was only three Follans or th- three Follans in in London and at the time when I went there 1961
2: uh, my name is uh, Kevin Follan and I had two uncles one called Paddy and the other called Joseph both of those actually uh, left Galway stowaways in the boat uh, I'm not sure exactly how many years ago. One of them came back after two weeks, but the other, he joined the British Army, and uh, he was uh, a soldier in the Crimean War, but he got killed. Patrick?
9: Patrick Fallon. Yeah, he was a, a neighbour of mine. Yeah. He went to England. He was, he was a next-door neighbour of mine, actually, and he went to England. It was his birthday, and he, was, he had a few drinks on him, and he, turned, he was living in a caravan on the site where he was working. And he fi- he turned on the gas to make something to eat for himself. And uh, he fell asleep. And when he woke up, of course, the place was a lot full of gas. And he struck a match to light the gas, and boom, up went the caravan. That's what the, 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 the fire crew made out anyway. All I can tell you, it was after 1962. Mm-hmm.
4: attention please I'm shortly out of here to Station and that's for my passengers bring all their luggage and personal belongings with them Galway Station will be our final stop thank you hello Eamon hello how are you uh, this is Kieran from RT Radio how's things how are you not so bad at hello. all come on in thanks very much hello hello hi hello uh, Kieran, this is my mother here, Nancy Fallon. Hi, Nancy. How's it going?
10: How are
4: you? That's about it. And that's my sister over there, Anne-Marie.
10: Hiya, Kieran. How are you?
4: And uh, my wife here, Mary.
10: How are you, Kieran? How, hey, how are you?
4: Sit down there. I just received a letter from, from you, I presume, was it? Uh, about a Patrick Follin. Uh So I was rang back on the number that was on the letter, just to see was it the same person or... Talking about, well, it seemed to fit the pattern of a of, of a brother that that was in England of mine, like.
10: Big stepmother, oh, I remember him well. Yeah, I remember him well. I remember when he went off to England, you know, but he never kept contact with us, like, you know, when Patsy went off to England that time. So I've never seen him after that, but I still remember him as good as ever. Well, he he just wrote two letters after going, but never bothered after that. Oh, just, like, tell me how he was getting on over there, and he said he still felt a bit lonely. He was always asking. I don't need the two kids at the time. You know, and he should be always asking about them. I, I don't know why he never wrote any more letters. I never know why. Uh,
4: when I was over in West Kingston uh, talking to people in the area about Patrick... Uh, the Patrick Folan were making the documentary about. One lady in the area did have a photo of um Patrick Folan. And I'm just I was just wondering if I gave it to you, would, I'm just is our Patrick Folan the same Patrick Folan that left your house, you know, so many years ago.
10: Oh no. Oh no. Not at all. Oh, not at all. I'd say, yeah.
7: Like
10: Time's change, you? No. his uncle, Tom. Tom. <coughs> not at <coughs> all. You probably have the... You're talking about you didn't see him in 50 years. People have got the
11: change.
10: What 50 years?
11: Sure, of course it would
10: be. Should sure, it isn't 50 years since i seen him. What's wrong with you?
7: Well, he's 40-something.
10: Yeah, would well, still, oh, not at all, that's not a
7: Well, he's the image of his uncle, Tom, Tom. that's all I know. I didn't you
10: know he's a con of Merriman. That's not Patsy. No way. I'd no Patsy the minute i seen him. Not at all. That's not Patsy.
8: Right, my name's Cathy Smith. I work for West Kent Housing Association. And I was contacted by social services who were looking to home, Paddy Folan, who'd never had a home before. When I first met him, I would say he was in his 70s. He wasn't well. I think somebody found him quite ill. That's how he first got started to get help.
2: Um, the day that social services brought him to my wife um, to get a flat, I, I just thought it was astounding. I just... It hit home then, and I just i just couldn't believe that he'd been in the woods all those years, winter and summer. Night after night, it's just incredible for anybody to do. Just, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't want to try it.
7: But he did, and he looked strong,
2: and he looked dignified as well. Just an incredible feat, really.
8: The only thing that really stands out in my mind wasn't having a kettle, it was the television So we got him a colour television. He didn't watch programmes, it was the weather. He just loved watching what the weather was all the time. He couldn't read and write, so if he got any post, he would bring it to me, and when I went round, I'd check his post for him, and there was an electric bill. And I tried to explain to him that when he watches the television and the light comes on, you have to pay. He said, no, the light is free, because he'd been living outside and everything had been free all these years. So I could see then the problem was starting, integrating in into his ho- own home, after living in the woods and living for nothing really. But he never put his heating on. He put his hot, immersion tank on for hot water once a week to bath, and he kept his flat spotlessly clean. There was nothing cooking-wise. When he was living in the woods, he always went to the local butchers and bought their ham, and he lived on bread and ham, and the same thing when he got this flat. He didn't buy cooked potatoes or anything, it was still bread and ham. The only thing he said was, when he lived in the woods, he always did what his mother said. She told him, every day he must make sure that his feet are clean. He said, so, summer, spring, winter, he washed his feet, he said, and in the winter, in the snow... He'd take his socks and boots off in the woods and wash his t- feet and toes in the snow. And he did that every day of his life.
1: Quiet man and I lift the same.
6: kitty hello how are you yeah hold on keep your, get yourself ready now i've got this young man here from um, rte uh, trying to find out your about patrick your, your brother pat right now he's brought a photograph and honestly looking at it there is some something there you know as far as I can see. And uh, Veronica even thinks it looks like them. So the only thing is, he's going to Galway tomorrow and he would like to meet you. If not, I know you're not keen on... on uh, you, you, you will meet him. You will. What time? Eh? You are in all day? Yeah? You sure now? Oh well, I'll give him your phone number anyway, in case. In uh, so you be on your own, won't you? That's okay. That's what he wants, right? All right then, Kitty. See ya.
11: Telling this, or so where to where to begin? I don't know where to begin. Only when I was in London, I seen him once. And that was it, and that was the last time I seen him. Tall, handsome, dark hair, very very quiet.
4: Would you say you'd be able to recognise Patrick if you saw a photo of him, or
11: have you got one?
4: I got a photo. Yeah,
11: let's have a look, please. No, There's just a photo inside that. Why do you stick it?
4: Because it's just the only have I could find. Oh, or, uh,
11: you can leave it open. Nah, that won't be him. I doubt it. Have you another one? No, that's, that's just the one photo. Oh, no, that's not Patrick. Isn't it? Even if he was an older man, then that's or older. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. That's a farmer. That's a farmer. Yeah. No, love. You're trying hard. But now... And is that a picture how she's seen him? Yes. Yeah, at that age?
4: Yeah, he, that was him in 1995.
11: Oh, you says it's him then. You say it's who? We'll say it's him then. Say it's... Because he, we change when we get old, don't we?
4: Yeah, we do. Well... What, do you think it is now, or...?
11: No. Well, I don't know, cos I'm changing as well, I'm I? Yeah,
4: you find it difficult to recognise her. Or...
11: Yeah. And Patrick, if that's you, I said, you're ugly. <laughs> well, he was a big hefty man, anyway. Oh, He's an old man there, isn't he? So, who's to tell, really? you know, so you you're going to give me tears now <laughs> well I must thank the people that looked after him and give him a nice burial. it I could d- be him Yeah. well I'll i put that in the frame and I'll, I'll, I'll keep give him the glasses and keep looking at him but we all change when we get older don't we we all change could be him only smile you know what
1: I mean you were clear out the forest land, making way for development, I came across old Paddy's bones, the place was dark and overgrown, where he had died eleven years before.
7: Message.
5: Uh, my name is Frank Folan, and uh, half of my family are from Northern Ireland but the other half from Connemara and um, Patrick Follin uh, was a man who went to England first and then his offspring went to America. Well of course the, there was a problem there in that um, a lot of them who left the country were would have been Irish speakers so they wouldn't have been able to write it as such. And, uh, you know, phones didn't exist or whatever. or was very little of them in comparison to today. So the amount of communications was very small, even from England. You know what I mean? There might have been a letter at Christmas or some money in an envelope at Christmas or something like that, but that was about
10: it.
9: My name is Mary Fallon, and I did have a letter from you. I think it might be back in September, about a Patrick Fallon, which I actually believe is my uncle, which... Um, I really don't know very much about. Um, All I know is that he lived in London, I think it was 1952, in Cricketwood, I believe. And that was the kind of last or only thing that we kind of know about him. I spoke with my brother in America about it, and he really he knew there was definitely such a person. But whether he's still alive, I mean, dead or alive, we actually don't know. So um, unless, I really don't know how, I'd love to really, I did try the Red Cross here in London, but they were more in like looking for people from, from the war and people that were killed or lost or injured in the war. They weren't really that interested in finding somebody that was just like that lived here and kind of disappeared or whatever.
5: The last time we met was at Paddy's funeral, where we did part of his goodbye service. And what we're doing today is a very simple, short service, which is really like putting the last piece of a jigsaw puzzle into place, which was Paddy's life. I'm sure it would be easy to become very sentimental and um, perhaps too innocent about Paddy's life. And I'm sure there were many nights that he Slept out when it was bitterly cold, when it was raining. There were many days, and I know it round here, when it's grey and the wind was blowing almost horizontally over the North Downs. But perhaps it's fitting that today, a lovely, gorgeous May day with bluebells everywhere and a carpet of green and blue, we're putting him to rest in lovely, warm, gentle conditions. We have entrusted our brother, Patrick Furland, to God's mercy. And now we commit his mortal remains to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. finish our prayers by saying together the prayer that Jesus taught us while he was with us on earth. Together we say, Our Father, Father who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,
8: thy will be, be done, done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us
6: this day our, our daily, daily bread, bread and, and forgive
10: us our justice. My watch has stopped. What's the
6: time? What's the time? Did I make it ten past 12 oh, 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 two hours. Oh, so. Are they
1: digging? Oh. Are they digging?
8: Right, shall we yep. get that way? That might hurry them up again. They're waiting for us. <laughs> Penny said she was <laughs> coming.
1: They were clearing out the forest land Making way for development I came across old Paddy's bones this was dark and overgrown Where he had died 11 years before
8: It's one of those things like not knowing where he was from.
7: We don't know where he went and why. How did you die? Was there anything else that we could have given you? And I think just thank you for having been part of our lives. I really did love him. But it is sad that he he lay down in the woods and died.